running up the score. You're listening to the Running Up the Score podcast. Now here's your host, Jerry Napoleonello. Wild Card Weekend is in the books. Running Up the Score, I'm Jerry Napoleonello. We got a lot to get into. We're going to recap these wild card games. We're going to preview these divisional games. I got some stats that I'm going to throw out to you. We got a lot to get into. And I love it. We had a great weekend. I'm going to get into some of the things that I didn't like about it. Uh, also, you know, th- these are like the two the two weeks of the playoffs that you know, we we love to watch because they're such great games. When it comes to the divisional round, we have a awesome schedule ahead of us. We'll start off, I guess, with the last game. First off, I will say I hate the Monday night playoff game. Absolutely hate it. I don't think it was thought through. You know, just going into that... Basically, it, it's looked at as another day of football, more ratings, more money, blah, blah, blah. But in terms of on-the-field play, I, I just hate it. I, I mean, you look at it now because now either way, either team is at a disadvantage because either team would have had to fly to San Francisco on short rest while San Francisco, they played their game on Saturday. Saturday afternoon, actually. I don't like it. And maybe this is just me saying this as a Dallas Cowboys fan, but if your team was in this position, you'd feel the same exact way. I don't like that Monday night game. Uh, I'm sorry. But in terms of on-the-field play, that Dallas Cowboy game against Tampa Bay, I sat here and I said, listen, all of the the historic statistics are going against the Cowboys. Tom Brady 7-0 and against the Cowboys. Cowboys 1-4 and this year on grass. Cowboys haven't gone on the road in the playoffs and won a game since 1994 or 1995, whatever it was, 30 years. Everything was was against the Cowboys in terms of historic statistics. And then, you know, on top of that, you had the Week 18 game against Washington. Dak looked horrible. The team looked horrible. Altogether, it was just a bad taste in your mouth going into that game. And people questioning Dak Prescott. Now, I came out and said, you know, I dropped all these interesting facts uh, in terms of Dak Prescott. And I thank everybody, Cowboys Nation, I, I, I thank you for absolutely blowing up the video that I put on TikTok. I think I'm at 23,000 views now and climbing. I appreciate it. I will continue to do that as much as possible. I, I was a little worried about how the Cowboys started the first three drives. 
The defense looked great. I, uh, you know, I applaud them. I think that kind of gave the Cowboys offense a little jump because, yeah, they look like crap. Three and outs, three and outs, three and outs. And then the defense reciprocated. Three and out, three and out. And then it finally set in. They, they finally settled in. And Dak Prescott shut everybody up. The guy went out and put together the best game of his career at the biggest stage against the greatest NFL quarterback or you could say arguably the greatest NFL player in Tom Brady. Did the Dallas Cowboys put Tom Brady into retirement? I don't know, but it definitely uh it's definitely possible. I laugh going into this game because everybody was killing Dak Prescott on, you know, he he's reckless with the ball. He's not reading defenses right. He's this, he's that. He's not a top five, not a top ten quarterback. Yet, when you watch that game, you look back at the tape, Dak Prescott was on another level than the Tampa Bay defense. He was reading the Tampa Bay defense so well just in terms of just like different things that he was doing, you know, sliding the protection, you know, changing up, audibling, just absolutely different Dak Prescott we saw from week 18 to the wild card game against Tampa Bay. Dak Prescott, as I said, looked like another level. You know, he was running the ball. He was running the ball hard. You know, we haven't seen him run the ball like that uh, in a couple of weeks, maybe even probably since the injury. And I would even say since the the ankle injury, we haven't seen him run in terms of the way he ran in that wild card game. But honestly, I'm not even I'm not even gonna say Dak Prescott had the best night that night. Someone else had a better night. Kellen Moore. Now, I have been very critical on Kellen Moore this season and previous seasons. The game plan that he put together for Tampa Bay was absolutely flawless. The play calling in that game was absolutely flawless. The what the Cowboys had to deal with in that game in terms of money, Mar, Brett Mar missing four extra points. If that was to happen to another Dallas Cowboys team, they're crumbling. They're absolutely crumbling. But this Dallas Cowboys team is different. Dak Prescott was different. Kellen Moore was different that day. The Cowboys protected Dak Prescott well. The Cowboys played defense very well. It I, like honestly, Tom Brady looked like a mediocre quarterback that night. That's how good the defense was 
for the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys can finally check off some of the demons. There's a few more that we would like to check off in the future. But they checked off some big ones. Haven't won a road game in 30 years on in the playoffs. Boom. Done. Haven't beat Tom Brady. Boom. Done. 7-1. Haven't won a, a playoff game in the blue uniform since Roger Staubach. Boom. Done. One and four on, on grass. Boom. Done. It was a great night for the Dallas Cowboys. It was a great night for Dak Prescott. But honestly, the people that actually watch the Dallas Cowboys know that this is this is Dak Prescott. This is what you've been seeing for the last two years. You know, and I've had comments... You know, where I 110% agree because it's just Dallas Cowboys. It's the fact that Dak Prescott has a star on the side of his helmet. The things that he does great is going to be looked at like this. The things that he does bad or, you know, if he has a bad game, it's looked at like this. It's happened with every quarterback since Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman set the bar all the way up here because they won three Super Bowls. Roger Staubach is is setting the bar up here because he won Super Bowls. So everybody after that is now looked at up here. Even if, yeah, maybe their play level's not there. Tony Romo was looked at like that. It's just the fact that you're a Dallas Cowboys quarterback. It's the biggest position in sports side-by-side with Yankee shortstop, basically. You're scrutinized for every little thing that you do. And what Dak Prescott came out and did on Monday night was absolutely insane. It was amazing. And I'm so happy to see it. Not only that the Cowboys won, but I'm happy for him. Because people this past week I, and and now all of a sudden these everybody that was ripping him the week prior is now uh, oh well, you know, he was he was just on another level. He was the, the, come on. Stop it. Tom Brady looked off all night long. I don't know if that was more of the Cowboys defense and Dan Quinn just absolutely out coaching, out playing, out all of that. The Tom uh, the 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 Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense. I don't know if it was that or just you know, cuz he kind of looked old. He looked old, he looked off. And I can guarantee you he's not going to be on this team next year. Whether it be retirement or he's going to Vegas or Miami. That's that's how I honestly feel uh, when it comes to Tom Brady. But before I move on to uh, the 49ers Seahawks game, I want to say one thing. Tyler Smith, 
will be looked at as a top offensive lineman in this league within the next two years. What he's been able to do this year from starting the season off thinking, all right, I'm playing left guard this year, side-by-side with Tyron Smith. Tyron Smith literally rips his hamstring or whatever it was off of the bone. Now Tyler Smith's playing left tackle. Does that. Then they go out. They pick up Jason Peters. All right, now we're going to move you side, you know, inside again. Jason Peters outside. Tyler Smith inside. All right, Tyron Smith is back. We lose Terrence Steele. Tyron Smith moves over to right tackle. Now, again, Tyler Smith's back, back and forth. Left tackle, left guard. Left tackle, left guard. What he's been able to do with everything that's been going on, with the changing of positions, it's it's been unbelievable. What he's been able to show has been unbelievable. I, I just there's there's no other way of putting it, and I'm telling you right now he will be a top offensive lineman in this league within the next two years if he's not already. Seattle Seahawks, San Francisco 49ers. First half was close. Seattle had the lead. Seattle stole three right before the half, which they probably should have scored seven. But it's just that it it didn't work out that way. They got they got the three. They take the lead. They go into half. Everything changed from there. The sole killer of that game was the fumble. That Geno Smith had. That was the that was the ending. At that point, San Francisco was up 23-17. The Seahawks were driving. And that was literally right towards the end of the third quarter. And it just the the wheels came off after that. Geno Smith was able to throw the ball against them. He really was. So, you know, it just... That fumble really cost them that game because, you know what? They could have won that game. After that fumble, everything just, you know, went off. Brock Purdy moves to 6-0 in his career. Christian McCaffrey had a big game again. You know, at the time... Like I was saying, Geno Smith was having a good game. At that time of that fumble... He was 14 of 18, 164 yards, one touchdown. DK had a big game, 10 catches, 136 yards. Kenneth Walker averaged 4.2 yards per carry. This is the number one defense that we're talking about. And the Seattle Seahawks were able to do that against San Francisco. If that fumble doesn't happen, we might be, you know, spewing a different tune here. But let's not let's not twist things up here. San Francisco, after that point, blew the brakes off of them. San Francisco has been nothing short of unbelievable this year on defense. And then after getting Christian McCaffrey, I mean, the fact that they've changed three quarterbacks this season and is still in the position that they are, I mean, you have to commend them. You have to. So now, 
this, you know, this matchup here, San Francisco, Dallas Cowboys, a rematch of last year's playoff game. That was in Dallas. This one is in now is now in San Francisco. Again, Cowboys are on a short rest. San Francisco technically has two days of rest over the Dallas Cowboys. So I do think that will play a role in this game. Um, San Francisco is coming into this one on an 11-game win streak. Other things, Micah is the third most... Um, he has the third most quarterback pressures by an edge rusher this year. So that's going to be the matchup. Well, it's not a matchup, but we're going to be watching these two. Nick Bosa, Micah Parsons. It's it's like this is this is huge. You know, that they they could potentially break this game open for either side. As I said, this is a you know, this is a, a great test for both these teams. The Cowboys really haven't played a defense in terms of, you know, the way San Francisco is. And San Francisco definitely hasn't played a defense like the Dallas Cowboys. And the Brock Purdy especially. The San Francisco defense hasn't played an offense like the Dallas Cowboys other than the Kansas City Chiefs. And when they played the Kansas City Chiefs, they got blown out. The Cowboys had a plus 125 point differential this season. During the season, the 49ers faced the Chiefs, who had a plus 20, a 127, and the Seahawks a plus 6. Every other opponent finished with a negative point differential. Yes, this is the number one defense in the league, but really look at what is producing these numbers. My question is, all right, Listen, as good as Brock Purdy has been, he's 6-0 and in his career now. When are we going to see the rookie Purdy? You know, he's a seventh-round pick. He's the last pick in the draft. I mean, I don't want to say, you know, I'm not saying he's Tom Brady, which people have, which is absolutely absurd. Um, but when are we going to see it? When are we going to see that Brock Purdy that we say, oh, there's the rookie coming out of him. He struggled a little bit in Arizona. They still got the win. But he hasn't looked like a rookie in the six games. One third of Purdy's 30 attempts against Seattle went to targets that had at least five yard separation. I'm not saying... That, you know, I don't want to discredit Brock Purdy. But what Kyle Shanahan's been doing with that offense has been unreal. So we have to give Kyle Shanahan a lot of the credit as well. To win this game, okay, basically for both teams. For the Dallas Cowboys to win this game. We need to see the same Dak Prescott that we saw Monday night. We need to see the same offensive line protection that we saw Monday night. 
if Dak Prescott gets the time that he had against Tampa Bay, this secondary for the San Francisco 49ers can be exploited. When it comes to the the offensive line for the Dallas Cowboys, they have given up 27 sacks. That's fourth fewest. Tredarius Ward in the wild card game gave up seven receptions, a touchdown, and 105 yards. The San Francisco 49ers have allowed a 98.2 rating to tight ends, which is 16th in the league. Also, Nick Bosa has never had back-to-back games without a sack. He didn't have a sack in the wild card game. When it comes down to it, the Dallas Cowboys need to protect Dak Prescott. They need to be able to run the ball as well. It's going to be tough to run the ball against the San Francisco 49ers because they are one of the best and actually they are I believe they are the best or their second best against the run. Bosa has had 18 and a half sacks this year. That's by far the the first in the league. The San Francisco defensive line has had 44 sacks this year. They have uh, a 24.0% blitz. They also pressure 30%, which is ninth best in the league. This is what I'm talking about. The, the Dallas Cowboys need to protect Dak Prescott. They need to be able to run the ball. And I think right there is a recipe to beat this team. Adding to that, going on to the defensive side of the ball for the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys need to put pressure on Purdy. He has not been he's he has really not seen pressure. Arizona put pressure on him a little bit and we saw what happens. He struggled a little bit against Arizona. But just Arizona's just not that good of a team. This other than the Chiefs is by far the best team that San Francisco is playing this year. On the other side, the 49ers. The 49ers need to put pressure on Dak Prescott. This is this game, like, really, I mean, I don't even really have to go into more, basically. This game is one in the trenches. Whose offensive line is going to stand up well? Whose defensive line is going to put pressure on the quarterback? And... Basically, I, I think the Dallas Cowboys need to stop the run. They need to stop Christian McCaffrey. I think when you have Trayvon Diggs on Debo Samuel, it's a little like this is a little different from last year because last year the the 49ers really didn't have a run game. Their run game was Debo Samuel. And Debo Samuel is just a different a different guy, basically. He's just a different animal. And he carved up the Dallas Cowboys defense. This is a different team. This is a different Dallas Cowboy defense. I'll tell you that right now. You know, between adding Jonathan Hankins. Jonathan Hankins, I mean, we saw it in the game against Tampa Bay. It's It's been huge to have him in the middle. Um... You know, overall, having Leighton Vanderush back, I think this team can fly around, you know, on defense when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys. 
The 49ers need to control the ball. They need to run the ball well. That's going to help their pass game. And, you know, George Kittle, George Kittle will probably have uh, J. Ron Curse on him basically all game. But what the Cowboys were able to do on Monday night, having Mukamu, or however you want to say his name, the basically the fourth string safety for the Dallas Cowboys was playing corner. And he played well. So it just comes down to, you know, what we're going to see. I mean, just overall, just in, I, I really honestly feel like this game is one in the trenches. And I I just want to see, I, I want to see Dak Prescott play this team. I, and I, I want to see him play like he did on Monday night. They need to keep the ball out of San Francisco. You know, they, they he can't turn the ball over. You know, he had no interceptions in the wild card game. No fumbles. He played very well. Brock Purdy's previous defenses that he's faced, Miami's 18th best, Tampa Bay 10th best, Seattle 26th best, Washington was third. Uh, the Raiders 28th, Arizona 21st, and Seattle 26th. As I said, key for San Francisco, pressure on Dak and stop the run. Key for San Francisco's offense, run the ball and don't turn the ball over. And the key the key for the Cowboys defense is to tackle Debo and C-Mac. They're, they're both yards after catch type of players. They never get tackled by the first guy. The Cowboys need to tackle well in this game. They didn't do that well last year. They need to do it in this game. And the key for the offense is to protect Dak and no turnovers, basically. So I would love to see the same Dak that we saw Monday night. That's going to do it for that game. I'm not not picking that game, by the way. I said the same thing last week. I don't pick the Dallas Cowboy games. Chargers at Jacksonville. Woo! Trevor Lawrence coming out party. Come on. I said it last week. I thought that this was going to be the the coming out party for Trevor Lawrence. And boy, was I right. I didn't think it was going to be like this. I mean, we started off this game. Hey, four interceptions in the first half. My God. There There was one thing worse than Trevor Lawrence in the first half. There was one thing worse for that game. And that was the broadcast. My God. Talk about a snooze fest. I've been on record to say that Al Michaels needs to retire. It's just not like it's not fun listening to him. And then add Tony Dungy to that. And uh, it was like pulling teeth. My God, someone talk. It was it was miserable. And even the 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 game winning kick 
There was barely even any kind of call. The broadcast was miserable. And this game altogether, you know, I've been saying Trevor Lawrence, I think, is a top 10 quarterback already. This is the reason. This is the reason I feel that way about Trevor Lawrence. He's 23 years old. For him, for a 23-year-old to be in the second year of his career, to go into his first playoff game, to throw four interceptions, and to be down 27 nothing at a point in that game, and yet he stayed poised and came back to win that game, that's a different kind of person. That's a different kind of player. That's a different kind of quarterback. Trevor Lawrence is that guy. And I said it last week. Trevor Lawrence is going to be a top five quarterback within the next year or two. And will be that way for the rest of his career. This guy is different. He doesn't have the best team. He doesn't have the best weapons. But what he was able to do against the Chargers, and the Chargers defense is no slouch. You're going up against Khalil Mack. You're going up against Joey Bosa, two of the best pass rushers in the league. Asante Samuel Jr. becoming one of the top names for the secondary. This is a, this is a very good defense. Derwin James, one of the best safeties in the league. What he was able to do down 27 after throwing four interceptions in his first playoff game. Unreal. Absolutely unreal. Now on the other side, I don't even know what to say about the Chargers. It's it's honestly inexcusable to have a quarterback of the talent of Justin Herbert and first off, not to finish like to not finish a game that you're up twenty seven nothing at one point and twenty seven to seven at halftime, to not be able to finish that, and then on top of it, to not be able to make a a deep run with this type of talent with this type of quarterback. It's inexcusable. What And I said this earlier in the season. What is up with the Chargers? Because it's not just with Justin Herbert. They did the same thing with Phillip Rivers too. They said they did the same thing with Drew Brees. They have great quarterbacks, great teams, but they can't move over that hump. I am absolutely flabbergasted that Brandon Staley still has a job. But they fired their offensive coordinator, which, I I mean, you had to. How do you not basically run the clock for the rest of the game? I mean, you could see they were hiking the ball with eight seconds left on the play clock. They were, I mean, run the ball, run the clock. I know it wasn't 
it wasn't a great game for Austin Eckler. But my God, run the clock. Just uh, just an absolute inexcusable performance by the Chargers. And on the other side of that, I've been, I mean, on this show, especially Kevin, but I've been very hard on Doug Peterson. You know, after he won the Super Bowl with the Eagles, he, like, some of the things that he's done has been absolutely head-scratching. Therefore, losing his job in Philly now is with Jacksonville. But what he's done with Trevor Lawrence, what he's done with this team, now, according to NFL research, Trevor Lawrence has the highest passer rating increase from year one to year two of any quarterback in league history. His passer rating has increased by 24.1 points. Who's number two, you ask? Carson Wentz. Who is the common denominator in that? Doug Peterson. So, as hard as I've been on Doug Peterson, as hard as we've been on Doug Peterson, what he's done with this Jacksonville Jaguars team, what he's done with Trevor Lawrence, is nothing short of remarkable. Now, we move on to who Jacksonville is going to play. Now, they move on to Kansas City. Mm, that's a tough draw there. Absolutely tough draw. Uh, this this game is a rematch of Week Ten, where Jacksonville won. Uh, Jacksonville lost twenty seven to. I have it written down. It was twenty seven ten, I think, or so, or twenty seven seventeen, I believe. I think that's what. Yeah, twenty seven seventeen. Um. This is a different Jaguars team, though. The Jaguars are on a six-game win streak. Um, you know, huge momentum, huge hype. Trevor Lawrence feeling it right now. Um, but a lot, you know, a lot you have to look at with this Kansas City team. I mean, this Kansas City team, by far the best team in the league. I don't care what anybody says. I don't want to hear anything about the Eagles. I'll get into them in a little bit. Kansas City is that team. They, you know, they can rush the quarterback. Their secondary is not good, but the fact that they can rush the quarterback is a huge, huge point in that. Uh, They can stop the run. That's another huge thing. But on offense, they're just a different team. You know, um... The, the the thing here is the Jaguars offensive line compared to the uh, Chiefs defensive line. Jaguars offensive line has only given up 28 sacks. That's fifth fewest. Um, in terms of the Kansas City defense, they have given uh, they have I had it written down. They have 55 sacks. That's second best in the league. So that's that's huge right there. You know, 
fourth fewest or fifth fewest and second best. What are we going to get here? I think a huge player in this game is not, well, he does play on offense, but he's not a starter on offense and he's not on defense. But Jamal Agnew for Jacksonville. I think the second uh, the uh the special teams here is going to be huge for Jacksonville. They need the the field position. Jamal Agnew it has been unbelievable kick returner. We definitely need to watch that. That's one. But also again, the if Jacksonville is able to protect Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence had a good game against Kansas City the first time around. If Kansas City, if Jacksonville is able to protect Trevor Lawrence, he can carve up the secondary of the Chiefs. It is absolutely out there. Like, it it can happen. This game opened up at minus 9. Okay? I think they they moved the line to about, let's see. Of course, I get logged out of FanDuel here. Um, it's down to eight and a half now. My 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 question always when it comes to the the number one seed is, will the buy be harmful for that team? In terms of Andy Reid, what he's able to do in a buy has has been unbelievable. So I I don't see this being an issue for the Chiefs. It may be a little rust, but I don't think it's it, you know. Again, this is a different Jaguars team that they saw in Week 10. This is four straight AFC... uh, Scratch that. There's two streaks going on that one will be broken here. Okay? And this is huge. Mahomes has now gone to four straight AFC championship games. He wins this. This will be five. I think that's the record or whatever. Um, Now in terms of Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence has never lost a football game on Saturday. He is 52-2 and in high school. The two losses coming on a Friday. He is 38-2 and in college, losing to Alabama on a Monday and losing to Ohio State on a Friday. And is now 1-0 in the NFL after last Saturday. This is, uh, you know, this is going to be fun. I, You know what? I, I really like Jacksonville. I really do. In this game, I think Kansas City is going to be just a little too much. But I think we're going to see a great showing from Trevor Lawrence. I think we're going to see a good showing from the defense, but I just think that Kansas City is just too much for Jacksonville. I don't think Jacksonville is at that point yet. One or two more weapons on both offense and defense, and I think this team is unbelievable. Trevor Lawrence is is that guy. Definitely that guy. But I'm going to take Kansas City. If I was to take the points, I would... Bet Jacksonville. I think this is going to be a closer game. Um, the first time around, Jacksonville only lost by 10. Uh, and I, as I said, this is a different Jaguars team. 
So I think this will be a close game. But if I'm taking the points, I'm taking Jacksonville. If I'm doing straight up, I like Kansas City. Now we move on to the Giants and the Vikings. Now, let me first talk about this team. Minnesota Vikings are not good. Okay. Now, what I saw from the Giants was great. The Giants played a very, very good game. But I can't sit here and say everything that everybody's been saying about the Giants this week. I'm not going to crown the Giants. I mean, everybody everybody looks to, to like, get ahead of their feet, you know, in terms of the Giants. I mean, they won one playoff game. Let's relax. Let's stop comparing them to the 2007 Giants. It's not the same team. Isaiah Hodgins is not Plaxico Burris. Kayvon Thibodeau is not Michael Strahan. You know, it's, you know, Leonard Williams is definitely not Justin Tuck. This is not the same team. So let's stop with the comparison of 2007. I think we all, like I said, I think we all saw this coming when it came when it came to the Vikings. I think everybody was betting the Giants. Everybody liked the Giants in this game. The Vikings were frauds all season long, and it was solidified in that game. Daniel Jones might have had the best game of his career, though. I think he had 78 rushing yards, played really good, threw the ball well. I mean, I even said during that game, I've never, I think I even tweeted it out. I've never seen so many wide open receivers as I did that game. The Giants, I mean, their wide receivers were open all day long. The defense between Dexter Lawrence and Kayvon Thibodeau put pressure on Kirk Cousins all game long. They played really well. I mean, the the Minnesota Vikings defense was so bad that, like, people are honestly thinking that Daniel Jones is a top 10 quarterback. Like, that's how crazy it is that they looked at, they watched that game and they're like, yes, Daniel Jones is a top 10 quarterback. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. That's a little crazy. Minnesota's defense is terrible. Um, You know... I think Brian Dable really showed how good of a coach he was in this game. Um, Overall, I mean, I don't know if it was more of the Vikings being that bad or the Giants actually playing good. But the fact that this game was pretty close, I mean, I wouldn't be too high on the Giants. I mean, it's definitely a, a booster. A mood booster, a momentum booster for the for the Giants to go now against a, a division rival. So that's you know, I, there's really not much more to go into in this game. Um, so I'm just gonna move on to the divisional game, Giants at Philadelphia. First off, 
Giants are 8-1 and one straight up as playoff underdogs since 2007. 2007, they were plus 3 at Tampa Bay. They won that game. 07, they were plus 7 against Dallas. And Dallas win on that one. 07, plus 7.5 against Green Bay in Green Bay. Won that one. 07, Super Bowl, plus 12.5 against New England. Won that one. In 2011, they were plus 8.5 against Green Bay. Won that one. Um, same year, plus 2 against the, the 49ers. Won that one. Same year, going against the Super Bowl. New England, plus 3. Won that one. 2016, plus 5 against Green Bay. They lost by 25. And then this year, plus 2.5 against Minnesota. And they won that one. So basically, this... This stat is a little inflated. They were wild card teams uh, the two years that they went to the Super Bowl. So that's that's what you're going to get. Now, in terms of, you know, just division rival, it's hard to beat a team three times. It absolutely is hard to beat a team three times. So that's a struggle. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of kinks here for the Eagles that, if I'm an Eagles fan, I'm not feeling too hot about. Um, in the first meeting with a healthy Jalen Hurts, the Eagles put a beating on the Giants. Um, again, as I said prior, um, although the Giants are hot, the Eagles aren't the Vikings. The Eagles' defense is not the Vikings. We can't get ahead of ourselves after that game against the Vikings. You know, the Vikings are not a good team. You know, they just overcame their weaknesses throughout the season because of who they had on that team. You know, Justin Jefferson is arguably the best receiver in the league. Um, uh, Jalen Hurts has another weak to, to recover from his injury. We'll see how that uh, plays into this. Um, now, this is this is where I would be a little worried if I was the Eagles. Okay. They're coming into this game losing three out of their last four games. Okay. Um or three out of their last five, whatever. however it was. They lost games down the stretch. Now, I went back and I looked. And, like, I don't like to... I don't like to regurgitate what we hear on sports radio or sports TV. You know, I, I, I like to look up my own stuff. So here, I wanted to talk about number one seeds. And I've always said, sometimes having the buy hurts you in the long run. And this is this is the uh the stats for. So, since 1975, the number 1 seed there's been 94 of them. 25 of them have lost. Now, this is a trend at least in my head. Okay? We have the Steelers, 1992, they lost to the Bills. They were 2-2 two and two in their last four. The 1995 Chiefs lost to the Colts 
They were 3-2 and two in their last five. The 1997 Chiefs lost to the Broncos. They actually went 4-0 and in their last four. The 2006 Chargers lost to the Patriots. They were 4-0 and in their last four. The 2008 Titans lost to the Ravens. They were 2-2 two and two in their last four. The 2008 Giants lost to the Eagles. They were 1-3 and three in their last four. The 2010 Falcons lost to the Packers. They were 3-1 and one in their last four. The 2011 Packers, 3-1 and one in their last four. They lost to the Giants. The 2019 Ravens lost to the Titans. They were 12-0 and 0 down the stretch. So that's, you know, a little different. But there's, you know, obviously these trends aren't going to be the same. But the 2000 uh, Titans lost to the Ravens. Best defense ever, arguably, obviously. Um, so we can't even go into that. The 2007 Dallas Cowboys lost to the Giants. They went 2-2 two and two heading into the bye. The 2005 Colts lost to the Steelers 2-2 two and two into the bye. The 2012 Broncos lost to the Ravens. They were 11-0 after they lost their third loss. So that's, you know, whatever. Uh, but the Ravens won the Super Bowl that year. The 1996 Broncos lost to the Jaguars 2-2 two and two into the bye. The 2010 Patriots lost to the Jets. They were 7-0 after a 6-2 start. That's different. Uh, the 2021 Titans lost to Cincinnati. They were 5-1 and one in the last six. 2021 Packers lost to San Francisco, and they were 5-1 and one in their last six. So there, there's a little trend there that when you're struggling down the stretch, having the bye doesn't help. You know, and I and I said this, you know, about the Cowboys. If the Cowboys had the bye and they put out an outing that they did in week 18, I I I don't think they would be winning at all heading into divisional round. So it worries me for the Eagles. That is like my one worry for the Eagles heading into this game. You know, you're like you're struggling. Like, you're literally limping into the playoffs here, going against a division rival that you've already beat twice. Beating a third time is going to be tough. Going against a team that is really feeling themselves right now. The Giants have scored 24-plus points in their last three, uh, their three out of the last four games. The, the Eagles are not good against the run. They're giving up 4.4 yards per carry. That's tied for 16th. They have 6.5 yards per carry allowed to quarterbacks. That's 31st. But Philly has 70 sacks. That's first. They have a 33.3 press percentage, uh, a pressure percentage. That's second best. They're getting Robert Quinn back this game. The Giants have taken 49 sacks. That's tied for 27th in this league. Neal... Evan Neal is 71st rated, is the 71st rated tackle out of 72. Philadelphia's secondary is a different story. They have, uh, they're tied for the fourth best in interceptions. They're tied for third best in yards per attempt. They're third best in rating against wide receivers. Um, they, the Giants have given up 5.5 yards per carry um, against quarterbacks. That's tied for 28th. The 
Giants blitz the most out of this league at 44.7%. They also have a 30.5 pressure percentage. This is, you know, the key here for the Giants, run the ball. They need to run the ball. And they need to dump it off to the running back as well. The the secondary is very good for Philly to have a guy like Isaiah Hodgins and, you know, Darius Slayton. It's going to be tough to get open against them. Daniel Jones is going to need to use his, his legs as he did in Minnesota. They're going to have to run the ball with Saquon and they're going to need to dump the ball off to Saquon. That is the recipe to beat Philadelphia. Now on defense for the Giants, they need to put pressure on Jalen Hurts, but they also need to keep him in the pocket. What I've noticed from Jalen Hurts, and I've noticed this for the last year or two, he's not the greatest passer. What makes him better than he actually is is that they're able to run the ball, they do the run-pass option, all of that. And A.J. Brown. And Devontae Smith. And Dallas Goddard. <laughs> you know, so he's got the weapons. It's just getting them the ball. And he's done that pretty well this year. But he's also, you know, not getting pressured as much as he's done in the past. And I, I just honestly, I feel as though if you're able to keep Jalen Hurts in the pocket and if you're able to stop the run simultaneously, I think you can beat I think the Giants can beat the Eagles. This is not the way that the Eagles wanted to go into their first game again in the playoffs. You're not gonna want the Giants are probably one of the worst teams that you would want to see. Or the the one team, one of the one teams that you just don't want to see. You know, Cowboys being another one. I think it's just a it's a bad matchup coming off a little bit of a struggle. You know, they struggled against the Giants in the last game of the season. And the Giants weren't playing anybody. So that's, it's worrisome for the Eagles and the Eagles fans. For the Giants... Like I said, run the ball and get pressure on Jalen Hurts, but also keep him in the pocket. If the Eagles are able to run the ball well and it opens up the play action, they are going to torch the Giants. But honestly, I feel like this gonna this is going to be a close game. And I, I mean... I don't even know why I say that because, you know, I say things like, oh, I think this is going to be a blowout. And then, you know, it doesn't end up being a blowout. And I get crucified for it in my videos. Like I was supposed to like, you know, pop into my head. Oh, this this game is going to be 24-21. And, you know, I read the future. No. I think this is going to be a close game because it's the playoffs. It's two teams that know each other very well. Division team, division rival. 
I just I think this is going to be a close game. I am going to pick the Eagles in a close game win. Maybe even a winning field goal type of thing. Don't kill me if I'm wrong, though. It's a prediction. That's how those work. Predictions. You don't know. You're just predicting. Moving on. Baltimore Ravens, Cincinnati Bengals. Really not much to talk about in this game. Um, Cincinnati struggled. Uh, I thought it was weird that Lamar Jackson didn't uh, travel with the team. This might have been, um, you know, this probably the last time we're seeing um, Lamar Jackson as a Raven. The offensive line is still an issue for the Bengals. And they lose Jonah Williams to a dislocated knee. That's not help. That 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 obviously is not good for the the Bengals. It's not something that you want to see. The Bengals let Huntley finish with his second best QBR in this in his career. It was just a lot of missed opportunities for the Ravens, um, especially in the red zone. And the the fact that they were only able to they were only um, they only got a field goal. Uh, prior to the half, and the fact that he ended up fumbling at the end of the game, it it you know, it deemed uh, harmful for uh, the the Baltimore Ravens, and the Baltimore Ravens the it, the game was there, the the game was at the grasp, and they blew it. And now in terms of the QB stink, okay, first of all, J.K. Dobbins was having a good game. Why not give it to him? That's one thing. Second, the QB sneak has worked well for everybody this year. I don't understand why Huntley went over the top, though. It's been it's been big for people when they're literally like getting low and, and getting in and then being pushed from behind. He went over the top, tried to reach it, Swatted it out. Ball was fumbled. Ran back by Hubbard. Touchdown. Bengals win. Um, so that that was basically it. I thought Burrow didn't play great. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals didn't play great. But they got the win. And that's all that matters. Uh, they Then we got the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. Buffalo blew a 17-point lead. Josh Allen continued his turnover issue. He had three fumbles in that game, only losing one, but still threw two picks. Um, ju- to me, just knowing that Skylar Thompson led this team to a three-point loss to the Bills is unsettling for a Bills fan. Um, I know... Obviously, it's a division rival. As I said, you know, everybody knows each other too well. And that's that's understandable. Division games are always close. But when you have a 17-point lead and you're facing a third-string quarterback, rookie, in the playoffs, this is not what you want to see if you're a Bills fan. Um, the Dolphins had seven sacks against Josh Allen. That's another thing. Um, 
But Josh Allen really needs to to cool it with the with the turnovers because if he does this against a good team, you may not have that chance to win. <laughs> you know, that's I mean, just imagine having a fumble go for a touchdown, throwing two picks against the Kansas City Chiefs. You think Patrick Mahomes is going to let that slide? No. It's going to be tough for uh, Buffalo if he's continuing the you know the the turnover train, I guess you could say. Um Now into this game now, the Bengals at the Bills. This was the game that we were supposed to see a couple of weeks ago, and then the whole DeMar Hamlin situation happened. So we we were robbed of that game. Um, the unfortunate thing for Cincinnati, three backup linemen are potentially playing this game for Cincinnati. Um, they also lost a Wouzier for the season, so now they're down to you know backup cornerbacks as well. Um, the injuries are hitting at the wrong time for Cincinnati. And that scares me for Cincinnati. But if anything, you know, is to change my mind, it's Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, the beginning of the season, I felt, all right, you know what? Maybe last year was kind of like, um, I don't want to say a fluke, but just something that was just out of the ordinary. Um, you know, because the beginning of the season, Joe Burrow didn't really look great. This team didn't really look great. But as the season went on, I started to see Joe Burrow's here to stay. Joe Burrow is a quarterback that's going to be a top quarterback in this league for the rest of his career. What he's had to deal with, with, you know, the offensive line, of Cincinnati and still has a team where they are is unbelievable. Um, as I said, he's, he's just, he's just showing how good he actually is. Burrow was sacked a league high 51 times. Uh, as I said, Josh Allen was sacked seven times. That's a concern now facing Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson. Um, Cincinnati secondary is my biggest concern. In this matchup. Uh, Cincinnati's coming in on a nine game win streak. Buffalo's coming in on an eight game win streak. Burrow's four and one in the playoffs. Uh, Buffalo's defense is sneaky good. They're giving up 17.9 points per game. That's second best in the league. Their pass defense is fourth best uh, in terms of uh, rating. 82.1. That's fourth best. Uh, They're giving up 6.5 yards per attempt. That's fifth best. And Buffalo's held tight ends to 67.6 rating. That's by far first in the league. So Cincinnati, you know, you can look at different things. Uh, Jamar Chase, they need a big game out of him. T. Higgins, they definitely need a big game out of him. T. Higgins has had um, two bad games in a row where he's under 40 yards. Um, there was two times in during the season that he uh, he struggled a little bit uh, two games in a row and then came back with 120-plus uh, yard games after that. So maybe look at that. Um, to me, 
I still think Buffalo is is too good. And I think if Josh Allen is able to not turn the ball over, Buffalo should win this game. I don't want to say easily, but they should win this game. Um uh, I'm I'm going to take the Bills in this game. And to be honest with you, if I'm a Chiefs fan, I think you would rather see the Bills than the Bengals. Obviously, we know the the stat. Mahomes 0-3 against Burrow. One being in the playoffs, obviously, last year. Um, and Patrick Mahomes has Josh Allen's number, especially in the playoffs. And I mean... That like when it comes to the AFC, like what matchup do you want to see better or more? Chiefs Bills or Chiefs Bengals again? And I'm not discrediting Jaguars. I like the Jaguars. I think the Jaguars will make that a, a pretty good game. But I think the Chiefs are just too good. So I, I mean, honestly, I want to see the uh, the uh, the Bills. And the Chiefs go back at it. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, what they did in the playoffs that year, I, I mean, pfft, was one of the best games I've ever seen. So, my picks this week, Bills, Eagles, and Chiefs. And I'm not picking the Cowboy game. Uh, but before we get out of here, I want to uh, just talk about some of the upcoming releases in terms of the hobby. So we have uh, 2002, uh, 2022 Tops Finest Baseball. That's going to be coming in at $250, and that comes out January 20th. Um, when it comes to this box, it's a 100-card base set. Limited to 25 extended base set. And uh, look out for the rare finest rookies design variations. Find two chrome autographs per master box. So, alright, so there's 12 packs per box, 5 cards per pack. And you'll get two chrome autographs per master box. Um, now we have... 2022 Panini Illusions Football. That's coming in at $400. That will be out January 25th. And in that box, I, I really like Illusions, actually. Um, but we'll get, in the box break, three autos, two memorabilias, five numbered trophy collection parallels, ten acetate or micro etched inserts slash parallels. Um, you get five, pack, uh, five cards per pack, ten packs per box. And in this one, you'll look for um, King of Cards, Mystique, Illusionist, and all-new Funkadelic. Um, and then you're going to look out for some autographed parallels. Um, only found in hobby boxes, look for super short print Trophy Collection Wild Cards or Collection. I don't, I don't know. They must have spelt that wrong. <laughs> collection Wild Cards and their parallels, which feature a current rookie or star paired with a former legend. Exclusive to the hobby as well, look for short printed 
ink variations in rookie endorsements, hunt for autographs from all the newest best uh, all the newest and best rookies. Um, find the new micro etch inserts in amazing operation detonation, shining stars, and rookie vision signatures. And then last but not least, we have 2021-22 Panini Mosaic Basketball. And Panini Mosaic just came out for football, and that has been absurd. Um, in this box break, you'll get one auto, 20 prisms, 20 inserts, 15 cards per pack, 10, cards, uh, 10 packs per box. Returning, you'll get... Um, Exclusive Mosaic Red, Mosaic NBA 75th Anniversary, Mosaic Blue, Mosaic Purple, Mosaic White, Mosaic Gold, and one of one Mosaic Black. Um, you'll look for some rookie autographs. Uh, insert sets that are exclusive to the Hobby Box include Straight Fire, Starting Five, Swagger, Overdrive, and Stained Glass, and then you have the Super Rare Translucent, Translucence, and rookie eruption inserts. So that is your release week. That is your division and wild card preview slash recap. I'm excited. We have, uh, you know, I really wanted to get into uh, some of the trends, but that was really, uh, this is going pretty long here, so I'm not really going to get into that. But the lines started out, for the Jaguars Chiefs at minus nine, they are now eight and a half. The opening line for the Giants Eagles is minus seven and a half. That hasn't moved, right? Yeah, that hasn't moved. Um, the Bengals Bills opened at minus six. That is now at minus five and a half. And the Cowboys 49ers are uh, started out at minus four and now is. Minus three and a half for the 49ers. Um, and the reason why the line moved after bouncing between San Francisco minus three and a half and minus four in the first 48 hours of action, the market consensus has settled with 49ers minus three and a half for Sunday night's divisional round fin finale. According to DraftKings books, 68% of bet count and 73% of handle is laying the points with the Niners. The over/under is sitting between 45 and a half and 46, with 76% of the tickets and 72% of the money backing the over. So, have fun watching divisional round weekend. I'm excited for these matchups, um, and uh, we'll be back next week recapping the divisional round and previewing the championship round. Hopefully, I come back with another smile. That will do it for Running Up the Score. I'm Jerry B. Breezy. B. Breezy. And it is all over! You've been listening to Running Up the Score. We run up the score on sports radio.